All right, Westside, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you or own a Bible, there's a pew Bible right there in, in the pew back in front of you. If it's the blue Bible that you're grabbing, or teal, what, you pick the color. It's page 1061 in that Bible. Um, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11 in 1 Corinthians 12. When you get there, look up at me and say, Jesus. All right. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're here, and we are in a series entitled One and Many, and so at this time of the year, we always sort of take some time to look at who we are as a church and just look at the vision and what God has in store for us, and um, this year, we've sort of done something a little bit different, and our thrust and sort of big idea has been um, assimilation, and and here's what I mean by that, is moving people in the areas um, of their gifting that God has gifted them. And so what we've seen throughout the scriptures is when the Bible talks about church or the body of believers, it does not primarily talk about what's happening now, the Sunday morning gathering. But rather, the Apostle Paul's favorite analogy is a body, that we are one body that has many members, and there are certain roles and functions. And if you're sort of just stepping in on this, we would direct you to our website where we've just spent a lot of time, primarily in Ephesians chapter 4, laying the foundation as to what this looks like. And so, sort of in a nutshell, maybe you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you did grow up in church and you were lied to, or something. (laughs) We're just starting out a bang, just like that, okay? And so, some of the stuff we're going to get into, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you, is, is a little bit weird. But the backstory is this, right? So the gospel, the the good news of Jesus Christ, God, our sins, paying everyone life, is this idea that God is reconciling literally the known universe and his creation back to himself that rejected him out of rebellion through the person of Jesus Christ. He's reconciling everything through the person of Jesus and so we learned last week that, that the good news is not just, hey, God saved you, you know, from sin, death, hell, and punishment, which is great, but he didn't just save you from something, but he also saved you for something. There's, there's a purpose there. And Jesus told us these profound words last week that it's actually better that I leave Because I'm going to leave. God the Father, our triune God, has orchestrated this. God the Son has come and paid for this. And then God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is coming and is going to empower this. 
And he now lives inside of you. If you're a believer who's turned from your sin and trusted in Christ. And that he lives in you. And that he literally lives the life of Jesus Christ through you. But it's not just that. Like that's goodness gracious, right? Can we stop right there and just rejoice? But that he's also given you gifts. The Bible calls them spiritual gifts. And this is how we've defined spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the supernatural abilities given by God to the people of God to accomplish the work of God for the glory of God. You see a rhythm there, right? You're not mentioned very much in there, but God is a lot, right? And so that's what we've said spiritual gifts are. And maybe to set us up where we're going today, there's a word that sort of jumps out in 1 Corinthians 12, varieties, 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 right? It's almost like the buffet at Ryan's. Rest in peace, man. It was horrible news. My favorite restaurant, man, right? It's like varieties. There's a lot going on here, but maybe this will help. Can, can you name the top four sports here in the United States of America, right? First one's probably easy. Um, they own a day of the week, right? Monday night football, the NFL, okay, right? The second, America's favorite pastime, baseball, Sure. And then the National Basketball Association, those by far the top three sort of dominant sports. The fourth one, however, changes sort of year by year. And um, hockey sometimes is there, right? If they would let those dudes fight a lot more, then I would go see a game a lot more, you know, right? It's the only reason why we go to a hockey game, right? The second second one that sort of battles is um, sometimes golf. Primarily when Tiger Woods is winning, praise be to Jesus for the comeback. You know what I'm saying, right? The power of the resurrection right there, man. A lot of them change, but the one that is always the contender for the fourth spot, if you think of America, you think of NASCAR, baby, right? Come on. Come on, right? I mean, it is. Listen, NASCAR, $6 billion industry. And so, I mean, like, what is more American than something that birthed out of prohibition is now a national sport, right? That's incredible, man. So NASCAR, but if you watch NASCAR and know anything about it, what is incredible to watch is the pit crew, right? I mean, these guys are doing just incredible things. The driver pulls in, they service the vehicle. Listen to this. This is from the NASCAR website. This is what the average pit crew does. During a scheduled pit stop, the team's pit crew services the vehicle as quickly as possible, completing a number of different tasks. Other services performed in routine pit uh, pit stops include removing debris from the radiator air intakes, cleaning the windshield, gassing the vehicle, putting new tires on the vehicle, making adjustments to tire pressure, suspension settings, and aerodynamic devices to optimize the vehicle's performance for the current conditions. In endurance racing, scheduled driver changes and brake pad replacements are also considered, quote, routine service when done as a part of the scheduled pit stop you got to wait a week for that to get that done when you're scheduling your ride, right? And what does NASCAR um, recommend, the time frame, that if you do not meet this standard, then you're not a NASCAR pit crew? To do all of that, 12 to 15 seconds. 12 to 15 seconds. Now, here's the question. Who has the most important job? The driver? Listen, homeboy ain't going nowhere if there ain't no tires on that ride, right? There's no gas in the tank. Everybody's got a job that happens in that moment. It's a variety of jobs, but they're all equally valuable. 
And so the big idea today that I want you to understand when we dive into spiritual gifts is this. The church is a diversity of people that are a unity of people who have a variety of gifts that are equally valuable. That's, that's the good news about this, that it's a variety of gifts, but it's the same spirit, that we are one body, but we are many members. And so what we've talked about in this vision series is that, man, if you're a follower of Christ and a member of Westside, you matter, that you have a role, and it's a variety of roles that are equally valuable. And today, we, we sort of change our text. We've been in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16 for a while. And today, we sort of jump to one of the prominent passages in 1 Corinthians. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of study. I'm pulling from a lot of different people in this message today. But, but one commentator put it this way. Oftentimes, we come to 1 Corinthians 12 and say, Aha! This is how the spiritual gifts are supposed to work right here. But in reality, we, we say this all the time. The, the Bible was not written to you, but it's written for you. Meaning what? That it's written by real people in real time and in real space. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And, and, and what we know about the church in Corinth is they were incredibly gifted. I mean, we're talking about the 94, 95 all-star basketball team. I mean, these guys were just the monster spiritual gifts. Incredibly spiritually gifted and a hot mess, right? It was like Christians gone wild in Corinth, okay? And the Apostle Paul, actually, the premise of the letter is not, here's how we come and see this. It's actually, here's how we come to see spiritual gift used wrongly. It's a corrective letter that he's writing. And it's actually a series of questions that have been written to him, and he writes back and responds to them. And, and before we dive in, there's actually two major warnings in the book of First and Second Corinthians about spiritual gifts, sort of warnings from Corinth. The first one is this, is that they were comparing the gifts. They were comparing them. It's very clear in the text. That's why actually 1 Corinthians sort of 13 is, is sandwiched in between there. It almost doesn't make sense. It's always read at weddings. And the Apostle Paul talks about how love is the greatest gift. He's, he's correcting how they were comparing. So they were looking at someone functioning in their gift, saying, ooh, that looks good on them. That must look good on me, right? Um, have you ever seen somebody maybe, maybe wearing something or driving something, and you were like, man, that looks good. That looks good on them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if that looks good on me. And brother, it don't look good on you, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's how we can look at this. Sometimes, oftentimes, the upfront gifts and when it comes to the miraculous gifts are always sort of compared. And so your varsity, if you have this, and if you've had all these spiritual experiences, then, oh, man, you are like alpha, you're running. But if you just have this gift, then, then, then you're JV. The Apostle Paul says, nope, do not compare the gifts. There's a variety, and they're equally valuable. The second thing is this, is that they were idolizing certain gifts, Preferably the miraculous gifts that we'll learn about. And listen, let me be very clear on this. When it comes to spiritual gifts, baptism, and end times, those are sort of the watershed issues that we get different denominations, and they're distinctions. Distinctions should never cause divisions among Christians. But listen to this. We are not founded upon certain spiritual gifts. 
We are founded upon the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. We will not elevate something else above that. Because the moment that we do that, we are in what the Bible teaches, heresy. So we are not defined by, listen, spiritual gifts are not your identity. They are your activity. Your identity is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to these gifts, your bulletin looks a little bit different and there's a layout, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to dive into each individual gift, but I gave you the references to the main passages that each of these gift lists are mentioned. So 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, Romans 12, 3 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, and 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11 are the primary areas that spiritual gifts are. Are mentioned. The reason why I give you those is you need to read your Bible and you need to study those, right? Don't take this bald-headed preacher at his word. Take God's word at his word and read those. Oftentimes, the confusion that happens with spiritual gifts is we grew up in some sort of tradition and we heard some sort of jargon from the pulpit and we equated that with God's word. We want to be Bible people here. We want the Spirit of God and the Word of God to discern these things. What's interesting about all of the lists is that no list is complete. Everybody agrees upon that. And no list is exactly the same. So it's not like the list of disciples. It's not like, oh, every time the list of disciples is mentioned, and Judas is always last, right? Didn't go good for him, right? Betraying Jesus, that doesn't work out well, right? Each list is different. So no list is complete, and no single gift occurs in all five lists. Thirteen gifts occur only in one of the five gifts lists, and in all there are about 19 to 20 spiritual gifts that are mentioned, Okay. Now, most everybody puts these, all of 19 or 20 gifts, in sort of three major categories, okay? So literally, what I'm going to do for you is try to put these things in boxes today, okay? This is your gift, because it's wrapped up in paper. See the... Okay, all right. So the first set that we're going to talk about today is gifts that build up the church, right? We're going to talk about that. The second group is gifts that lift up the church, right? These are service gifts. These are helps gifts. This is mercy. This is all of those type of things. And then the last set that we're going to talk about is gifts that power up the church. These are like the miraculous gifts, right? And I'm saving those for last because this box is super controversial, baby, right? You know what I'm saying? And so it's going to be today gifts that build up the church. Then next week, we're going to look at gifts that lift up the church and then gifts that power up the church. But here's what's important, and I've read a ton and studied all of this, and this is something that's never mentioned. There is nothing, there is no error in the gift that God has given you, right? Some of you are like, I need the return line, please. I don't really like my gift, right? God is perfect, and the gifts that he gives are perfect. But there is a tension, and there is a problem. It's not with the giver, it's with the receiver. It's with us. God gives us perfect gifts to imperfect people. And so literally, if you look at this, like the gifts that we're going to talk about today that build up the church, well, here's the language. The Bible talks about when you're living the Christian life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you're walking by the Spirit, is what the Scriptures teach. 
But then there's a part of us that is not yet fully submitted to God and the reign of Jesus Christ. Right? So, so being a Christian doesn't mean you're sinless. Being Christian means you sin less and that you're progressing day by day. That's why we sing that song, day by day. I'm being created in the image and likeness of God. That's walking in the Spirit. The part of us that is not yet submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ is what the Scriptures call the flesh. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, now here it is, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. I'm so grateful that that verse is in the Bible. Does, do, do, do any of you sort of have this mindset of, man, I know. I know what Jesus has for me. I know what true obedience looks like. But I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. The Apostle Paul actually says that in Romans 7. And then he says this beautiful line, Oh, who can save this wretched man that I am? Praise be to God for Christ Jesus our Lord. So the language I'm going to use today is we're going to look at what it looks like to walk in this gift in the spirit, the positive of this. But then we're going to look like what that looks like in a broken vessel through the flesh. And I think there's some help with this. There's going to be some warning aspects of this. And some of us may not be able to to discern sort of what our gift is. We rolled out an assessment last week. That's on our website. You can check that out. It's not magical. It's not all-inclusive. It's just a tool. It's just helpful, okay? But I think what's also helpful is to maybe see sometimes the, the error of that. So what's the first gift that we see for gifts that build up the church? The first thing is this, apostle. Wait a second. I need to do something first. Let me put that back in there. Here's what I'm not saying today. I'm not going to roll you out and you go, preacher said, I'm an apostle today, right? I'm going to go forth. No, 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 no. Maybe this will be helpful. Do you remember those old Gatorade commercials? Be like Mike. You remember those? And like, here's what they pitch to you. You drink Gatorade, you're going to ball like Mike. Bro, I drank a lot of Gatorade in my day, man. I am not balling like Michael Jordan, all right? What I'm talking about today is what theologians called the tertiary aspects of the gift, okay? That's a big word, so it's frappuccino, but work with me, all right? It's the characteristic, listen, there are no more of the offices of this today. Ephesians would tell us that God gave us these as the foundation for the church. Question, how many foundations you got in your home? One foundation, all right? The apostles wrote books of the Bible. They were commissioned by the resurrected Jesus Christ. What we're talking about today is the spiritual gifting aspect of those, okay? So now, back to it. The first one, apostle. What does this look like in the spirit? This is multiple gifts. Entrepreneurial mindset loves difficult tasks. Apostles start churches. So we see this in the New Testament, right? What does the apostle Paul do? Goes to Corinth says, wow, this place is going to hell in a handbasket. They need a good church, right? So he preaches, sets up a church, puts all of these pastors in position, and leaves and goes somewhere else, right? So listen, apostles are not very detail-oriented. They are 30,000-foot view-oriented. 
They can see things. So if you're a business owner, if you have um, make difficult decisions, um, maybe you're a boss, a lot of people work for you, the odds are is that your spiritual gifting is probably going to look something like this. Apostles start churches, but what does that look like in the flesh? Apostles struggle with contentment and pride. You know why? Always new. All right, so we're going to set this ministry up. We're going to do this. Is it self-sustaining? Is it self-sustaining? Great. I don't care about that anymore, and I don't care about you, because I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to start something else, right? Apostles also struggle with pride because they are oftentimes ones in leadership, and so they have a difficult time submitting to other leadership because they are primarily the primary leader. Sometimes they see people as projects. So listen, your problem, you're not falling in line. I need to move you over here. You need to do this. You're either going to get on board or you're not going to get on board because my tendency is to leave you behind. We actually see the Apostle Paul um, opposing Peter to his face, and we actually see Paul leaving a guy by the name of John Mark literally at the bus stop. John Mark shows up with a missionary journey, and the Apostle Paul's like, that dude ain't going. He bailed on us last time. So they have a little bit of an argument. Peter's like, he's going. Paul's like, he's not going. Peter's like, he's going. Paul's like, he's not going. And Paul's like, I'm going, deuces, and just leaves the guy behind, right? Apostles have the ability to start the church, and in the flesh, apostles have the ability to split one. So in the flesh, the apostle is, do you not like what's going on here? Well, I'm naturally a leader of a movement. So are you mad about this? Because then we can do this, and then we can move over here, and then we can do this. Do you see how gentle this spirit and this flesh mindset is? So Ted Cross, Margaret's late husband, was probably an apostle. He probably had that gifting. I've seen his sermon notes. I've seen the vision that they cast there almost 60 years ago in the basement of Margaret and Ted Cross's home. An apostle, vital to the church. The next gifting is this, prophet, right? So the prophet mindset looks at a deep passion for God's word. You cannot talk about a prophet apart from God's word. The Old Testament prophets, thus saith the Lord. Their heart breaks, and they think the answer to all the problems is more knowledge. So, oh, you keep on sinning, you keep on struggling with this? Well, here's what we need. We need a systematic theology class, and we're going to study 37 weeks on the immutability aspects of God's characteristics and the penal substitutionary atonement and the Christus victor, and what you're going to realize is you're going to get this through your thick head, man. That the See what I'm saying? That's a prophet, all right? Biblical illiteracy and the state of God's church. A prophet, so if an apostle starts something, the prophet leans towards the direction to where that thing is going. An apostle starts it, and then the prophet comes in and goes, whoa, 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 are we heading in the right direction? Because I see, I see some things later on down the road that could affect us here. Love prophets, right? Prophets extremely low in mercy. All right, not a lot of mercy. And this is what they look like in the flesh. They struggle with being only cynical. So a prophet not living in community, not walking by the Spirit, not loving people only points out problems all the time. If you ask a prophet walking in the flesh, hey, what are five good things about our relationship? They'll go, uh, you're dumb, right? I mean, like, don't ask me that question, right? So often cynical could be harsh at times, and prophets sometimes tend to isolate themselves 
from everyone else. Low in mercy, but high in the direction as to where we're going with things. So if you scrape your knee and you need comfort and you need affirmation, you don't go to a prophet, okay, right? So apostle, prophet, and then what's the next gift that we see? Evangelist. This is a carrier of a message. What does an evangelist look like in their spirit? Introducing people to Jesus Christ. I mean, it is the passion. I function in this, so anytime I preach about salvation or those far from Jesus, you see me sort of get a little bit excited. I love that aspect. A variety of people are drawn to this person. I saw my dad function in this. My dad was an itinerant evangelist for a number of years. And what I always loved is we would go to some podunk Baptist church. My dad would preach the gospel message. People would come to meet Jesus. But anytime we would leave, we would stand at the door back in the day and you'd kind of greet people. And these little old ladies would come by and go, it's so good to see a young Baptist minister these days preaching the word of God, right? Then we would go to a Methodist church. And my dad would preach, we would stand back at the door, and the little old Methodist ladies would go, praise God for young Methodist ministers today, right? This is the ability to sort of connect cross-culturally to a lot of different people. The evangelist is always encouraging the people to get outside the walls. What do we need to come here for? There's lost people out there. We need to do this. We need the homeless. So like social justice and those type of things, evangelists are deeply driven to. Listen, here's what lights the fire. Seeing people come to faith in Christ. That's it. That's the passion. It's not how you're doing down the road. It's not first and foremost. It's do you know Christ? I have a friend um, up in St. Louis who is like a thousand percent evangelist. We went to coffee one day with someone at Starbucks, and before we sat down and even introduced ourselves and said anything, Jason said, hey, listen, man, I got to do this. Do you know Christ? You going to hell? Check, please. You know, like, wow, right? High evangelist, okay? What does this look like walking in the flesh? Oftentimes neglects the saints and church members for the sake of the lost. So Peter says, do good to everyone, but especially to those of the household of saints. And so the evangelist struggles sometimes with, you know, long-term discipling and those type of things because we have to have more people come to meet Jesus. An evangelist also struggles with contentment being in one place. That's why missionaries and people like that are often drawn and have that gift of evangelism. Here's what's interesting. Every believer actually has the responsibility of evangelism, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. So, listen, your spiritual gift is not your identity, but it clarifies your ministry and your activity within the body of the church. But the evangelist is a gift because it goes far outside the church and brings people inside the church. What's the next gift that comes out of church that build, uh, that build the church up? Shepherd, right? What do shepherds do? Shepherds watch sheep. Shepherds love sheep. A deep love and care for people, right? So um, oftentimes a very committed and protective person loves seeing people mature in the faith, community group leader, right? So if you've taken the assessment and you're high shepherd, you need to be leading a community group. Here comes my prophet. Suck it up and be a community group leader because we need you, okay? All right? So listen, whereas the evangelist loves seeing people come to faith for the first time, 
The shepherd is all about discipleship, long-term goals. You love hosting people. You love li- you draw energy from being around people. The prophet gets drained around people, right? And so what the shepherd does is it's sort of protective. It's this idea, these are my babies. This is the sheep, right? But what does the shepherd look like in the flesh? Sometimes the shepherd's going to struggle with compromising the truth because they don't want to hurt someone, right? Prophet, oh, we need to hurt someone? Sign me up, bro. I got a ski mask in my trunk right now. Let's make this happen, right? Somebody needs some, they got some sin? They got some sin in their life, right? Let's kick in the door, right? The shepherd's going to go, I love them so much, right? So a shepherd at community group one week is going to hear someone say something. They're going to realize it doesn't line up with their life, and they will lose sleep over-initiating the conversation to have with someone. Do you see now how all of these gifts are needed within each other? What does that else look like? It also looks like that the shepherd sort of focuses on the needs of the sheep and the members and oftentimes neglects the lost people, right? Because that's just supposed to be, quote, the evangelist's job. Shepherds are massively important. And what we've seen from the data that's come into the spiritual gift assessment is awesome because we have a lot of shepherds here. Believe it or not, me being a pastor, I don't function high on shepherd. I've had to. I don't draw energy from you. That's why this is a monologue, not a dialogue. You ain't talking. I am, all right? See what I'm saying, right? I'm actually an introvert that protects itself with an extroverted personality. I'm going to make the joke first. I'm going to talk to you first. And that's the end of the conversation. Bye. I got to go read dead guys. Okay, right? All right? But here's what's good about that. I function high apostle, evangelist, and then teacher in all those areas as well. But we've got people who care. Isn't it crazy how God is doing all of this, right? Right? Wow, people who care because I don't care. That was the backside of that statement. Was that my prophet coming out just then? It's fascinating. Here's what's interesting. Is now the larger we get, there is no way that our pastoral staff, that our board, and that community group leaders can care for every single person in this room. No way. There's no way. That's why we need more shepherds who care and are protective, but who don't lose sight of people who are outside of the fold and still gather some prophets around them to go kick in some doors, right? Okay? And then the last thing that we see is this, teacher. Gifts that build up the church. What does a teacher look like in the spirit? Loves learning, researching, studying, and illustrating God's word in formal and informal settings. Teachers love wrapping um, presents and doing chocolate milk and doing, see what I'm saying? Anything like that. But here's the key about this. You can't be a teacher unless you love to learn. You get a lot of people who tell me, I, I preached, done some preaching before, right? Yeah, nobody ain't never told you, you don't need to preach, bro, all right? This is an idea, listen, not that you just love to teach. Here's the definitive aspect, that people learn when you teach. That's the supernatural ability that comes out of it. Teachers think like this, this is like that. There's a lot of people who love to study. There's a lot of people who love to research. And this can be in an informal or formal setting. I function better in a formal setting like this, but when it comes to informal, I ask my wife, I'm a horrible community group leader, right? I came from a house of four boys. I interrupt people. I'm like rude. I just said that I didn't care in the middle of a sermon, right? You know what I'm saying, right? And so, listen, that's why we need people who can function in different aspects of this gifting, What does this look like in the flesh? Oftentimes, teachers only teach what they're passionate about. 
So uh, if you gravitate to the deep things of God, right? And there's people drowning over here. Paul says it this way. It is the full counsel of God. So it's not just that they're drawn to what they only want, but teachers always struggle with the approval of other people versus the approval of God over their life. And it literally ends up turning in and making people in, into idols. But listen, this aspect, listen, that, that all of these don't have to happen in a formal setting. You can be a mother who has the spiritual gift of teaching. You can be someone who's functioning in your family unit. You have the spiritual gift of apostleship. There's always things that are happening. You're the prophet in your family. And you see, man, if you keep going this direction, everyone dies. And then there's people who bring people into the family. Those people are drawn, a natural evangelist. Then there's the shepherds, right, the mother hens who are protecting their flock but walking in this when it comes to spirit and flesh is difficult it's very difficult do you see the the delicacy of of the balance and when it comes to spiritual gift these are supernatural this isn't just like a natural talent that you were born with this was a supernatural talent that you were born with in your second birth that's what this aspect is so what do we do what are guardrails that we can learn to see if I'm functioning in the spirit or in the flesh. The man's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. I told you that I function, you know, high in, in the teaching category. And so I have Holy Spirit moments in movie theaters and all types of stuff and everywhere. And a couple of weeks ago, I just had a church moment there at Andy Grace's Gymnastics, right? I don't know if you've ever been to that before, but it's like Planet of the Apes with little girl, blonde-haired girls running everywhere and like glittery things and all types of stuff, and they're doing gymnastics and all, all these ponytails everywhere, right? But the teacher's fantastic, and she's teaching little, you know, four, five, and six-year-olds, and they were doing some bars that day and some balance beam. Big deal, right? Andy Grace. You hear a lot of daddy, mommy, watch, and all that stuff. And the teacher was teaching... And the little girls were having trouble paying attention. And they kept looking down. They kept looking down at their feet. And the teacher, boy, she just cracked the whip. She said, hey, ha, uh, uh, Andy Grace, do not look at yourself. Andy Grace, look up here. Do not look. Watch me. Watch me. Do not look at yourself. When it comes to spiritual gifts, you don't look at you. You don't look at other people. But as the author of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Because you see, all of these roles are bound together, as Colossians says, in the person of Christ. Because you see, Jesus is the greater apostle. Because he says in Matthew 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, Jesus is the greater prophet because Hebrews says long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the greatest evangelist in Luke 19.10. For the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. I'm preaching, but y'all are not listening to me. Listen, Jesus is the greater shepherd in John 10.11. 
I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus is the greatest teacher because God said no more illustrations and no more thus says the Lord, but I'm writing myself in the story. In John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Westside, listen, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Look to Jesus. Don't look to yourself. Girl, you can wash your face only if after you wash it, you look to Jesus. Guys, don't look to John Wayne for biblical manhood. John Wayne's dead and he's in the grave. Look to Christ. What's your role in the ministry? Don't look up here. Don't look back there. Don't look anywhere. Look in the scriptures and look at Christ because listen, we need you in this. And when the church is functioning in its roles, then we literally see a Sam Storm says, God going public with his people. And that's what happens when a variety of gifts that are equally valuable are being used within their place. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and there's two things that need to happen. You need to comfort the afflicted in this place. Those who have been functioning and they're gifting and they're trying and they're tired. God, I pray for community group leaders who are just wore out. The shepherds who have so many sheep in the fold. God, I pray that you would encourage them, put fresh wind in their sails, that you would raise up new leaders in this place, that you would comfort the afflicted. And God, I pray that you would afflict the comfortable in this place. There are people here with their gifts who are lying dormant and they matter. It's a variety of things in this place and they're all equally valuable. And we don't look to ourselves and we don't look to the pastor and we don't look to the board and we don't look to a committee. We look to Christ because there, as this whole body is being built, he is our chief cornerstone. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in communion as you feel led today?